a quick study of the book of Judges in the Old Testament scriptures is going to show you that the, the people of God had a hard time staying faithful to him. A common, theme, a common theme throughout the whole book is the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It means they, they turned their faces from following God and his commands or instructions to doing whatever they felt like doing. Mainly at this point in time, when we're going to do our study, they were worshiping other gods. And God knew that this would happen. He's like that parent that tells their child, well, if you choose to do that, then here are the troubles that you are probably going to run into. But what do kids do? Well, they know everything, don't they? So they're going to do what they're going to do. It's not limited to kids. I found this in my career that the employees know so much more than the boss ever will. Or, or citizens know so much more than politicians ever will. If, if I was running this company, if I was running this country, or, or closer to my home, if I was in charge of that ministry, things would be different. Well, no doubt it would be different. Better? Now that's debatable. In the book of Exodus, God had told his people, I've got this property for you. I'm getting this land ready for you. You've sat in Egypt for 400 years, but now is the time to get your inheritance, and there is land for all. It's going to be glorious, but the hitch is there are some people that are already there. They've been there for a while. They've gotten strong, but if you follow me, then you will be stronger. And what you're going to do is you're going to need to get them off your property. They've had their time, and they've proven that they would not follow me. They're going to follow their, their own gods, their own values, their own ways. And that means that they are going to be a destructive force on this earth. So now is the time for them to leave. They've got to leave the comfort of the land, the land that I have set aside for you. Your job with my strength is going to be to help uh, to remove them, to get them out of there. The thing that you can't do is let some of them stay or remain in the land. It's going to sound cruel, but you are my people and you're going to be set aside as a blessing to the rest of the world. But in order to do that, you must have your eyes focused on me. And so God says, if you let them stay in the land that I'm giving you, then they're going to continue to grow strong and, and they won't keep it to themselves, but they will influence you. Not only will they try and go to war with you and take back the land, but more dangerous than that is that their ways, their practices, the detestable things that they will do will creep into your land. And I'm afraid you're not going to be strong enough to withstand that influence on your own. And so if you don't make sure that they are gone, then they are going to be there to tempt you to follow their gods. They're going to be there to taint you with their evil practices. And they're going to be there trying to trick you into thinking their way is normal. And ultimately, they're going to trap you. And one day, you're going to find out that you were so engulfed in their ways and their practices, you're, you're going to look around and say, well, there's nothing left of our relationship with our God. So God tells his people, make sure you don't let any one of these nations remain in the land. They, they will spoil our relationship. Well, if you read the book, you know they didn't do it. They let some of the residents stay, and lo and behold, God was right. Imagine that. The, the people were corrupted, and they turned to idolatry, and they tried to live both as God's people, but also live according to the cultures that are around them. And that never mixes well. Rule number one, God says, you shall have no other gods besides me. So here we have Israel, a pretty new nation. They didn't follow through on what God had told them to do, and they, they find themselves in a little bit of a pickle. More than just a pickle, this was a dark time. For the nation of Israel, this was a time of constant conflict. Destructive neighbors nipping at their heels. The, the people 
falling into the trap of worshiping other gods, and as a result, they miss out on the blessings that God had promised them. But God is so faithful. God always has an answer to the problem, and God sets, a, sets up a system of judges that would come and get the people back on the right track, uh, coming in repentance, leading to following God's commands, and enjoying peace. But we see in the book of Judges that they would continue to fall away and come back, fall away and come back, fall away and come back, and this was the cycle. So here we have the cycle of judges rising up in a time of need, getting the people back on track, and we come upon this warrior woman, a prophetess, a wife, and a judge who is going to be uh, God's chosen instrument for his people's redemption. Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5 give us this, this beautiful story about this warrior woman, Deborah, who rises up to the challenge to lead God's people out of their most current sticky situation. Chapter 4 of Judges is going to be a historical narrative, and chapter 5 of Judges is a poetic retelling of this epic battle that they're going to go through. Take a listen to the song Deborah sings in, in Judges chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, Praise the Lord! Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anna, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord! You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up! Wake up, Deborah! Wake up! Wake up! Break out in song! Arise, Barak. Take captive your captives, son of Abinoam. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulon, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And then, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coals. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali, 
on the terraced fields, kings came. They fought, the kings of Canaan fought. At Tanak, by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. From the courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishan swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishan. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves. Galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answer her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A woman or two for each man, colorful garments as plunder for Sisera, colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck, all this as plunder. So may all your enemies perish, Lord. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace 40 years. Like I said, this was a dark time. The nation of Israel was in a big mess. To set up a little backstory, we're, we're coming to a time when the Canaanites were in power again. Joshua had actually burned down some of the cities. They burned them to the ground, and, and one of them being Hazor. But because the Israelites didn't get rid of the people God warned them about, the, the Canaanites rebuilt and became an influential people again in a struggle for them. At this time, there was a king named Jabin, and he was ruling the people, and apparently he had a pretty grand army. The text is, is going to tell us that he had 900 iron chariots. Because Israel had for, forsaken God's commands, uh, he's going to let Jabin have them, to, and he's going to let them rule over them. In fact, in, in the text says in Judges chapter 4, verse 2, that, that, that God sold them to Jabin. Now, if you think about that, that's pretty strong language. To, to sell something means to give up total control, total, total rights over it. You give your rights to, to have any say of how, how something is used or what kind of treatment that, that an object is given. Now, my family loves watching I Love Lucy reruns. What's amazing is that this is not something that Sarah I has forced on our kids. In fact, it's usually my daughters who initiate watching the show. And they absolutely love it. So the other day, we were watching an episode where Lucy and her family are moving to a new home. Well, since they're moving, they decide to sell the furniture to a family who will be moving into their old apartment. So they write up a bill of sale, they list all the items, and, and everything seems like it's okay. But, but as Lucy is making her final sweeps around the apartment, looking at all her old stuff, the, the new family comes in. 
and they have this this nice little conversation and, and Lucy's about to leave and, and the new couple they start making all sorts of comments about the big changes that they're going to make to the furniture and to the apartment changing a lampshade painting a table cutting the legs off a couch well before you know it Lucy has spent the rest of the episode saving her furniture because she couldn't bear to let it go and, and have changes made to it she Lucy wasn't willing to sell off her stuff she couldn't let it go she couldn't let the the new family do it what they wanted to do with it Lucy couldn't give up her rights to her property and so that's what it means to sell to give up your rights and the text says that God sold his people to this King Jabin he let go of his rights now I've known uh, some families that have had to let go of their their rights over their children because the child's behavior was was becoming so destructive and, and so reckless that the parents really had to sell that child to their own destructive behaviors and rely on God that he would bring, bring them back through on the other side. Now at this point in time God says you are going to do what you're going to do and there's nothing that I can do to stop that so I'm going to have to give you over to your sin your desires and I'll see you on the other side and the Lord was faithful to wait for them on the other side and after 20 years of oppression the text says chapter 4 verse 3 of the book of Judges says that the people cried out to the Lord plainly stated they repented they looked out and they, they understood their situation, the, the desperate situation that, that they were in, and they repented. God, we need your help. We are, we are ready to turn from the things that we're doing, uh, turn away from the things that go against your will. And when they repented, God does what he has done in the past and, and what he will do in the future. He freely brings forgiveness, and in many cases, he raises up a leader. And not only uh, just a leader, he raises up a woman named Deborah to lead the people. The author of Judges describes her in, in this way in chapter 4, verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, uh, the, the wife of uh, Lapidoth. Uh, Lapideth was judging Israel at this time. We see that Deborah is a prophetess, meaning she receives revelation from God for the people. She's a homemaker because it mentions that she's a, a wife. The wording on this is really interesting because even though she was a person with position and influence in society, she, she still saw a place in the home as a place to serve. The way she describes herself is, is a wife which would have followed the normal cultural traditions of the husband being head over the household. Apparently, even though uh, she had social and political influence, Deborah doesn't get caught up with titles and authority. She's comfortable being who she is. And the text says that she's also a judge. Deborah has a, a keen spiritual insight and perspective, and, and for the nation of Israel, she was better uh, able to, to make decisions on legal disputes than, than, anyone else, than anyone else at that point of time. So here she is, and, and Deborah was all of these things, and she was a leader to boot. She wasn't content to just sit on the side and watch events play out. She was a woman who took charge and had God's authority to do so, so that the nation she loved would turn back to God and live in peace and the blessing that God had promised for them. And boy, did Israel need a leader during this time. Uh, apparently, Israel had gotten the message from the Lord that now was the time and he was going to help them win their freedom from this nation that, that had kept them in, enslaved uh, with, with this huge army for so many years. God said, now is the time. 
But in the text, we see a reluctance by the leaders and by the people to actually take on the job that the Lord had told them to do. Deborah has to to summon a, a commanding officer named Barak and ask him, didn't the Lord command you to go get your troops and deploy them by Mount Tabor so that we can defeat this enemy that we are struggling with? What's going on, man? Why aren't you doing it? God told us that he would deliver victory into our hands. The battle is out there just waiting for you to grab the victory for our people. What's up? You see, Barak didn't seem to to lean into the fact that God is the God of the impossible. He had done it before and he was ready to do it again. No doubt that Barak had heard the stories of Moses in Egypt, uh, of Joshua and the conquering of the land. But he looked out on, on his situation and he thought, this time is different. The impossible looks too big for me. And to be honest, I, I can understand his apprehension. Jabin's army was led by a man named uh, Sisera. And Sisera commanded an army that had 900 chariots. These, these were the tanks of the day. And more than likely, Israel, as a conquered people, didn't possess any weapons of war. They didn't have the chariots. They didn't have all the shields and the spears. More than likely, they could only scrounge up weapons that would allow them to, to battle in hand-to-hand combat, knives and sticks. The odds were stacked against them. And Barak saw this and tells Deborah, tell you what, if you will come with me, then I will take my troops out to war. If not, I don't think so. Now, Deborah knows that, she knows that the battle's won. She knows that they just need to get out there and God is going to do something amazing. And she says, fine. But if that is your final decision, Barak, then the war is going to be won by a woman. The, the honor, the glory, they're, they're going to go to someone else. When, when people talk about this story in, in years to come, it's going to be a woman who they remember as the hero. And Judges chapter 4 and, and chapter 5 take us through this amazing battle and the victory for God's people. This comes down to God routed Sisera's army. Barak has led his army to the battlefield with the help of Deborah. The armies are lined up, the, the battle lines are drawn, and, and Barak charges with his men against their enemy, and the Lord took care of the results. The text says in chapter 4, verse 15, that, that the Lord threw Sisera's army into confusion. The author is using the same kind of language that we find in Exodus when Pharaoh's army is totally crushed at the Red Sea. Not a man was left. Well, what about the, the, this promise that God would give a woman the victory? We find that when Deborah says these words, she's not talking about herself. The story goes that during the battle, Sisera sees the chaos, and instead of staying with his army, he flees. He goes in the opposite direction. He's trying to save his own skin. Sisera ends up, after, after running and running and running, he ends up at the encampment of what he thinks are allies. He finds the tent of, of Haber, the leader of this nomadic group, and he comes across this group and he asks for refuge. Jael, Haber's wife, is in the tent and, and she says, sure, come on in. Hide under these blankets. Now, Sisera is extremely worn out from running away from the battle and, and he requests some water and some rest. Jael goes above and beyond and instead of water, she offers him milk. And Sisera drinks the milk and then falls into a deep sleep. And, and while the general is sleeping, Jael takes a hammer in a tent peg and drives it through his skull, killing him and she turns the body over to Barak. With their mighty general gone and and their troops in disarray, crushed by God's mighty hand, Israel is able to rebuild and finally defeat King Jabin and and come out from under his rule. 
This is a wild story, and there are a few things that we can pull out today for us today. This is a story about what it means to follow a God who works through the impossible and who is always faithful even when we are not. Oftentimes when we get ourselves into a mess, the only thing that we can see is the hopeless situation hovering around us that, that we feel like we have to dig ourselves out of. I'm, not, I'm sure that, that most of us have, have never had a towering army pressing in wanting to destroy us, but we have other battles in our lives. In fact, this, this life is full of battles because we live in a world that fights against God's purposes. This is the nature of things. But even in the midst of great conflict, God continues to move. And not only that, he expects us to move as well. Because movement is obedience. Deborah's song in in chapter 5, verse 2 says, When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people volunteer, blessed be the Lord. I, I don't know if you will find a better slogan to hang over the doors of a church's ministry department. When the leaders lead and when the people volunteer, blessed be the Lord. How great is that? How great is that? As a pastor, that's great. But it's also great because it reminds us of a truth. Change comes through movement. The words used in this second verse are words of movement. And movement can go uh, and make negative changes or it can make positive changes. You see, the people in this book, they, they moved towards idolatry and worshiping other things. And what, what, did it get it, what did it give them? It brought them pain. It brought them misery and, and slavery. But God said, move with me and I will bring you out of all of that. I will restore your land. But it requires movement with God. Now, I'm like Barack sometimes. Maybe you can relate. When, when I see a mess, when I see a difficult situation, the first thing I want to do is go into my shell to hide away and just see if, if all of this will pass on by. Barack says, I, I know who God is and, and what, he, what he said, but I just can't move without some help here. And this shows the beauty of the body of Christ. When, when one member sees um, that... that an overwhelming situation. There are others who see a little bit more of the picture and can, can help that overwhelmed member to, to take the next step. For Brock, it took a warrior woman to stand next to him so that he could walk in the path, in the path and the plan that God had had for him. But there's a caution in not doing what the Lord has asked us to do. The caution for Barack was even though he was the leading general, the one who was going to get the honor and the glory for the victory, that wasn't going to happen because he was hesitant to obey. In fact, in this song sung by Deborah, she calls out some of Israel's tribes who kept themselves out of the battle. They kept themselves away from the fight with their brothers and sisters. Where were you, Reuben? Where were you, Gilead? Where were you, Asher? People of Dan, why did you stay with the ships? The battle wasn't anywhere near the water. But, but honor and recognition are given to those who walk confidently and participate in the plans of the Lord. The tribes, the, the people, uh, Naphtali, you showed great courage on the field when the battle got tense. You stepped up and showed us who you put your trust in. You are blessed. Jael is blessed as the woman who helped deliver the nation from the evil, oppressive regime that, regime that they found themselves enslaved to. Jael is most blessed of women, of women, Deborah says. The wife of Haber, the Kenite, she is most blessed among tent-dwelling women. God says that I am the God who works even in the impossible situations. Will you move to where I am moving? Will you be a part of the tidal wave of change that that I want to bring? You see, God heard the cries of his people and he was going to respond. And he sent out the invitation and said, who is with me? And those who dove in that, 
that decided to participate. They saw amazing things that day. They saw a world-class army crumble right before their eyes. They, they saw the army fall at their fingertips. And then there were those who sat on the sidelines and only got to hear the glorious stories of the day. Oh, you should have been there. This is a problem we have in separating church departments or separating groups in our churches and calling certain groups missions. When, what we tend to do is we tend to put others on the battlefield while we sit on the sidelines. We hear awesome stories about how God is moving all over the world, but we, we sit on the sidelines so unsure about getting off the bench. And it becomes a, a God works over there, but not over here trap. The reality is that God has invited us all into the battle telling us that the war is already won, but will you share in the glory of fighting the battles that come your way? The story of Deborah reminds us that there are so many things that are they're gonna wanna pull us away from doing what the Lord would have us to do. There are unlimited distractions, and if we are not careful, they, they will be the idols that trick us, they will be the idols that taint us, and they will ultimately be the idols that trap us. The story of Deborah also reminds us there, there are people who are crying out for the Lord, they are crying out because they don't see any hope. They can't find any peace. Uh, maybe there are other people who are causing pain in their lives. Whatever it is, they are crying out for solutions. They are crying out for freedom. And God tells us that, that he hears the cries of the people. And he invites us in to hear their cries as well. Deborah, Barack, do you see that the people are crying out? Get in the game. Make a move. Help them out. Be, be part of the winning battle plan to, to free those people within your circle of influence. The story of Deborah reminds us that the battle is won and that the Lord is the one who gets, uh, who's going to bring victory. The Lord is going to bring victory and what he asks us to do is to move. I love that, that term volunteer in chapter 5 verse 2. Sign up, get involved. This is like military language. Enlist, he says. I want you. The only weapons the nation of Israel had were knives and sticks. Not much when it came, came to standing up to the people with tanks. But God reminds us that he will give each of us what we need to fight the battle. Church, God is with you. God has given you everything you need to be part of the battle. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, it, but it does mean that the, the victory is possible. Sometimes life feels like a mess, maybe a mess that you just don't see any way out of. If you are fighting battles today, I, I want you to name them. Name them. Name them. Name your battles. Th this is the first step in, in recognizing what those battles are. Those battles might be relationships with, with certain people, friends or family. It may be your job. It may be, it may be your health during this time. The battle might be a, some form of addiction or something that keeps drawing you away. Heck, the battle may even be with your own church. Name it. Name it. Recognize it. And now, we, we name it and we recognize it, and now we, we give them to God. When we give them to God, that is when we see the real power working. Romans 8.31, the author of Romans 8.31 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? At the end of the story, at the end of Deborah's song, we see a, a lonely mother watching and waiting for her son. We see the, the mother of the general from the, the enemy army, Sisera, his mom. And, and on, the store, on the surface, this is an extremely sad ending to his story. What a shame to see a mother calling out from the house, where is my son? Why is he taking so long and, and working in denial? Maybe he's taking so long because he's gathering all his spoils. He's, he's won the battle and he's, he's collecting his treasure. That's why he's gone so long. 
But this is a story of the enemy of God wondering what in the world has happened. Why is this not going according to plan? Where, where are our warriors? We're expecting great things. We expect to rule over this world. What, what in the world is going on? Deborah ends with an enemy who is in a state of confusion, but a people of God who are shining like the sun. Church, how about we work so that the enemy of God is, is left in a state of confusion, a state of question, a, a state of doubt. The enemy wants to force this world into a state of confusion and chaos and of division because those are the kinds of things that, that keep them in control, that give them the upper hand. Church, let's work together in unity so that the enemy of God is thrown, is, is thrown itself into a state of confusion. When the enemy sows hate, we sow love. When the enemy sows division, we sow unity. When the enemy seeks to destroy, we seek to build up. When the enemy keeps people in bondage, we bring solutions, freedom to the table. When the world sees no hope, we bring the hope of Jesus, which transforms lives. And we do this because we want to see lives transformed, and we want to be part of the process. We want to be part of the battle. We want to see and participate in the victory. We have been promised victory from the Lord. Not, not victory that's carved out of the dirt and mud because we have to do all that we can to fight and claw our way out, but victory brought about by the power of the Lord the power that he has so freely offered us. Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 23, says this, One of your men puts flight to a thousand. For the Lord your God, he, it is he who fights for you, just as he promised you. Just as he promised you. He fights for you, just as he has promised. And on that promise, we can walk out of here in full confidence.